It's January 2017, days before the inauguration. The eyes on our Capitol have gone dark. It's the job of the Secret Service to protect the outgoing and incoming presidents who would be standing on the west front of the Capitol. And now their job was made magnitudes more complex. Attention. Your documents, photos, databases, and other important files have been encrypted. Your documents. Everyone can be a victim of ransomware. Every single computer on a network can be a victim of ransomware. This is Steve Nix. And no, there's no relation. You can find a cyber realm into every single crime. To me, the most violent and destructive weapon known to man is a zero and a one. He's an agent with the U.S. Secret Service. I am an assistant to the special agent in charge at the NCIJTF, which is the National Cyber Investigative Joint Task Force. While most of us know the Secret Service as the folks in suits that guard the president, their job is a whole lot more complicated than that. They also investigate electronic crimes. So the the mission of the Secret Service as a whole is to safeguard the U.S. financial infrastructure. So we've gone from paper now to plastic and electronic. In this incident, they are the agency currently scanning and investigating the cyber attack that has left D.C.'s camera systems offline just before an inauguration. They are blind for one of the most critical security events they handle. Worse, this incident cuts across both missions, protecting the president and investigating electronic crime. We often think of cybercrime as the malware, the network attacks, the technical details. But there are people behind every line of malicious code. For the Secret Service and people like Steve Nix, knowing that landscape and the people behind it, it's not just critical, it's the whole game. There's different levels of these cyber actors. If we're talking the high level, they're doing their homework. They're looking. They're looking for the big fish. They're spearfishing to get the executive to do the wrong thing for them. But even some of the younger, newer cyber actors, they have no problem renting a service and hacking you for $500 and demanding a $500 ransom. We see that all the time, but that's the problem is they're learning how to do things because there's so many fish in that ocean for them to go after. I was in Ukraine and we were doing a pretty substantial investigation and we had been after this fellow for quite a long time and had gone over there on a warrant and it was in a very remote part of Ukraine and we're waiting up for him and the gentleman showed up in his and his scrubs. He was an emergency room doctor who just happened to, over the years, as a hobby, got into cyber theft. Everyone has the propensity to do that. Everybody has the skill set to learn how to do that. And now with uh, the world of things, the Internet of Things, everybody now has uh, the electronics to do that. You can do cyber crime from your mobile phone and then ditch that phone and there goes evidence. So everybody can do it. The people who put the time in and learn how to craft their trade. Every single person can be a victim. Every single person, including the officers of the Metropolitan Police Department of Washington, D.C. I'm Mika Oyang. This is To Catch a Hacker. 
an audio series about cybercrime, what really happens, how we find the people behind them, and how they are brought to justice. This is To Catch a Hacker, Part 2, Attribution. In all honesty, it starts at the very, very beginning with each user. Phishing, phishing, phishing. If we can eliminate just the phishing, we would eliminate ransomware. A few blocks away from the Capitol, the MPD's own headquarters has turned into a crime scene as investigators look through its systems for clues. The 2017 presidential inauguration was hacked and was being held for ransom. Your documents, photos, databases, and other important files have been encrypted. It had all the markings of a nation-state actor attempting a decapitation strike. But was it? How do you protect from a threat when you don't fully know who or what they're doing? For investigators, they're entering the most important phase in catching these criminals. They're looking for clues or signatures that the criminals left behind, not knowing whether or not the intrusion is even over. To get at the heart of what's happening, we need to look at how a ransomware attack works. So after the initial access, the hitting of the phishing email, getting it into the network, there's the execution of the malicious link. Then there's the persistence by the actor within the system. And from there, they can escalate their privileges. They can evade uh, software and security and the virus scans. And they defend themselves. They can do things to keep themselves in your networks. And from there, they, they harvest credentials and they have credentialed access to your systems. And it's only then, after the criminals have burrowed deep into the network, that they realize just what kind of access they have. How deep am I? Who do I have? What can I glean from this information? And they start moving laterally through your network. At that point, they then collect what's important to them. They know what they're looking for once they get in there, what's important to the victim, They grab that. They can then exfiltrate that to their home servers, wherever that is around the world. And then they encrypt your data and let you know, this is what we have. This is what it's going to take to get it back. And if you don't pay it, we're going to release it into the world and you're not going to have it back. So right there, the Secret Service gets together and they get together and they huddle and they discuss who could have done this. That's Drew Henshaw, the Wall Street Journal reporter who covered the inauguration hacking case. Very, very um, fraught time in the nation's capital. When the MPD fell victim to the hack, they were already working with the right people at the Secret Service. They work hand in glove together for the protection of the president. Of course, the MPD isn't a standard ransomware victim. They didn't pay the ransom. And offlining the cameras, removing the malware, rebooting, and bringing the cameras back to speed wasn't too onerous a process. But catching the criminals behind the attack? That's another matter. So let's say somebody breaks into my house and steals my sofa. That's Dave Marcus. He's the director of intelligence for the Advanced Programs Group at McAfee, a cybersecurity firm. They had to get into my house some way through a broken window or the front door, um, and they had to actually take my sofa. They actually had to physically remove my sofa. My sofa is no longer there. And I can see that because there's a big space with where my sofa used to be. But in the world of cybercrime, 
It's much more subtle than that. Oftentimes, it's difficult to understand how an adversary got into a network. Um, it's difficult to understand did they fish somebody or did they pay somebody money to simply, you know, get their username and their password. So it's it's very very different. And and you also have to understand that really in the world of the cybers,、um, things can be faked. You know, it's it's actually possible to alter timestamps. It's actually possible to patch things. So, how does one zero in on criminals when there's no physical evidence that they were ever in the room? How do investigators analyze the compromised system to come up with a suspect? The term is attribution, meaning how we identify a person or group of persons that committed the cybercrime. So really, what we look to do is we look to we look for digital breadcrumbs, so to speak, and then we try to tie those digital breadcrumbs together in such a way that an adversary comes out of the mix. So the Secret Service begins its attribution process. It's a little different than a homicide. Is when when you come upon the body, that's the that is the crime that occurred. When a ransomware takes place, when you're notified of the ransom, that may actually be the last step. In the process, the crime has been going on for quite a while. As the police continued to examine what Alex and Evelyn were doing with the infected computer, they saw a signature piece of ransomware called Cerber. And at the time, Cerber was the most profitable ransomware weapon available on the illicit market. With Cerber, for the average user, it was impossible to unlock the data. Unless you want to pay a fortune, the only option is to brick your machine and restore it from your backup files. But beyond the loss of data, once criminals have access to your system, it can get worse. Hackers can elevate their administrative privileges on your computer, allowing them to take over and use it however they like, including the ability to use that computer to infect other computers on the network. Government investigators were fully aware of Cerber and the havoc it creates. They'd seen it before. The FBI estimated that in 2016, over 25% of all ransom attacks came from this one piece of software. This was an opportunity to expose who was behind this. Cerber's proprietary. Someone wrote it. Someone stands to profit from it. And if you're good at something, you don't give it away without asking for something in return. The attackers—they basically licensed Cerber from the creators of the ransomware. And if the attack was successful, both the attackers and the program writers could share the profits. In this case, sixty thousand eight hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin. Here's Dave Marcus again. So you know when you go online and you go to Amazon、um, and you purchase anything, that's a service. Or let's say you need your pool cleaned, right? Pool cleaning is a service.、Uh, malware as a service is exactly the same thing. You go to a shop on、uh, on generally on the underground, and you say、uh, you, you go to the type of malware you're looking for, and you buy malware from someone who el- someone else who creates it and sells it as a service and maintains it. Literally, it's just like buying software as a service. The attackers were just another pair of satisfied customers doing business with the makers of Cerber. Before tearing down the network and rebuilding, investigators decided to watch the system. Cerber provides the hackers the ability to control computers remotely. If the investigators could see what these attackers were doing behind the scenes, it could be a breakthrough. Okay. Secret Service sits down at this computer. There's something really there. Someone's using this computer as we speak. You can see it on the desktop, and in the corner of the screen is a tracking number for some kind of shipment, and it's headed to an office in London. 
which is great because American law enforcement has a great relationship with law enforcement in the UK. They call the United Kingdom. We need your help. There's been a hack of the inauguration, and the people who have done this seem to be shipping some kind of package to an office in London. Can you go check it out? So officers of the British National Crime Agency rush to the scene to open up the package. Uh, the London, the British Crime Agency calls up the United States uh, Secret Service and says, I found the smoking gun. Inside the package is something called the smoking gun. It's a barbecuing device. You cook something on the grill and you want to give it a little smoky hickory flavor. You just, it's like a blowtorch. Introducing the smoking gun by Breville. Used in professional kitchens and bars around the world. Literally, a smoking gun. So now they have to figure out what the heck is going on here. You've got these two people who swear they're guilty of nothing other than ordering a barbecuing accessory. And their tracking number is for some reason on this screen of a computer that's linked to a security camera watching the inauguration parade route that's being used to send out yet more malware to other targets in America. Ransomware, just as any other crime, there's always going to be crumbs. There's always going to be puzzle pieces that we can use. Let's say a a serial bank robber. He's going to leave evidence at each and every scene he goes to. Every time he robs that bank, he's doing something to leave his identification. It's the exact same thing with ransomware or any other cybercrime. I think the biggest challenge to tackling and figuring out the perpetrator is not actually figuring out the perpetrator. It's actually spending the time to do it because it, it can be done. Even those quote unquote unsolved cyber crimes, there's probably enough information there for the right team to look at to figure it out. But it's a cost benefit thing. Um, it, it takes a lot of time, money and resources to do the attribution work. It takes a long time. Most of the time, banks are going to say, this is way too complicated. We'll just write off the fraud. Here you go. There was some fraud in your account. We're going to replace your debit card. And here's your money back. And we all pay for this in the form of higher bank fees. If you make things a little bit complicated, banks and police will just give up and not try to uh, prosecute it. So how exactly did the officers and agents working on the case determine the identities of the hackers? It's about creating a nexus of the identifying information. Email addresses, IP addresses, account logins, all things that give leads to finding a real person. Uh, It wasn't some sort of American insurgency group that wanted to derail the the presidency or something like that. It was instead uh, two longtime friends and who were just sort of trying their luck, uh, it seems, just seeing what they could raise up, what kind of money they could raise up. They weren't quite Bonnie and Clyde. But hey, you've got to start somewhere, right? Might as well accidentally ransom the U.S. presidential inauguration. Because as investigators would come to suspect, the hackers had shuttered the security cameras by mistake. They were blasting out some ransomware to any email address they could get their hands on. It just happened that one of them was working for the wrong police officer at the wrong time. And now, at one of the infected computers... The Secret Service was watching the smoking gun make its way across Europe. It turns out what's going on here is a very simple credit card scam. So to boil it down, on Amazon, the scammer used a stolen credit card to buy and sell the smoking gun, pinning the criminal transaction on someone else. This is small-time fraud, 
the kind that doesn't often attract too much attention. To put it plainly, the same computer being used to ransom an inauguration was running a low-rent scheme over a piece of bar equipment. The problem is that she's been doing this on a computer that the United States Secret Service and law enforcement are staring into because this has to do with the inauguration of a president. Okay, so now they've got, they've, they've got this complicated, convoluted smoking gun scheme. They figure out, they say, okay, this middle person here who bought the barbecuing thing from somebody else is responsible. They look at that, and it turns out that... One of the hackers is using her own name her real name, in the email address attached to the smoking gun purchase. U.S. law enforcement says, now we've got a name. There's another really big mistake that happened here, which is on the day her partner, using this email account, sends out the ransomware to the Washington, D.C. Police Department, he uses that same email address to order a pizza from a place called Andy's Pizza in Romania. You can presume he was hungry. We all make mistakes when we're hungry. He's using this very sensitive email address to order. It's on one hand, plant ransomware on the computer in the nation, America's capital. On the other hand, to order a pizza from down the street. So now the police have the names of both suspects. And their address, too, for the pizza delivery guy. Meet our culprits sitting at home, half a world away, in Romania. Right, if you thought this was the Kremlin or some really sophisticated group, no, it's two of kind of the most amateur hackers you could imagine, just living in an apartment in Bucharest, you know, having kind of doing this stuff for fun and profit. Evelyn Chismaru and Alex Isvanka. Alex and Evelyn were hackers, online thieves, occasional lovers, and credit card fraudsters. Evelyn was also a budding Instagram influencer. Hello, everyone. Hey, guys. Hope you're well. Hey, everybody. Just a laugh for what you do. You can succeed. But on January 17th, 2017, what they felt was lucky. Nothing in their portfolio could have prepared them for this. Access to the security feeds of the U.S. Capitol and control of a portion of MPD's computer network in the days leading up to the presidential inauguration. Later, Evelyn would describe how shocked and excited Alex was when he realized what they had accomplished. According to her, when he first accesses the Washington, D.C. surveillance system, he was like delighted. He's like, whoa, check this out. You know, I, I, on my computer screen, I can see downtown Washington, D.C. So to recap, on January 17th, a D.C. police officer accidentally clicked on the attachment and fell victim to a phishing scheme. They've got this message that says, you know, we have your files, you need a password, you got to pay us. Your documents, photos, databases, and other important files have been encrypted. Which allowed Alex and Evelyn to control the infected computer from Romania. But since they weren't the most sophisticated of hackers, law enforcement could get around the encryption to see what Alex and Evelyn were doing on the computer that they had taken over. So one of the things you do when you're sending out ransomware is first you hack into a bunch of computers, lock them. Now that person has to pay a ransom if they want their files. But you also use their computer to send out yet more ransomware. So the next person who gets ransomware, it's harder to track, right? 
as police discovered, they were planning to launch thousands of pieces of ransomware from the MPD's computers to unlucky, unsuspecting users. Your documents. It would only take a small fraction of the recipients downloading the ransomware for the entire scheme to repeat itself like a virus at a dangerous exponential pace. Your documents, your documents, databases, and other important files have been encrypted. Have been encrypted. Files have been encrypted. Uh, I don't think at this point, Alex and Evelyn get what they're what trouble they're in. There's some Instagram posts over the next days where you kind of see them just relaxing, hanging out. I don't think it's it's dawned on on them at this point that they have, after years of allegedly stealing money here, money there, money there from people who are never going to notice or care or report it, all of a sudden they've poked the bear that's going to strike back. And they wouldn't know until nearly a year later when they arrived at the airport in Bucharest, Romania, to catch a flight bound for London. They never made it onto the plane. To Catch a Hacker is produced by Third Way, Goat Rodeo, and me, Mika Oyang. It is brought to you by the generous support of the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. Special thanks to Drew Hinshaw, Dave Marcus, Special Agent Steve Nix of the U.S. Secret Service for sharing their expertise with us. Aside from this podcast, the team at Third Way has done a ton of research into cybercrime. To learn more about it, visit www.thirdway.org. And to learn more about the podcast, visit catchahackerpod.com. And if you want to hear more from Goat Rodeo, visit their website at GoatRodeoDC.com. And if you liked this episode, please leave us a rating or review and share it with your friends. If you'd like to continue the conversation online, follow me on Twitter at Mika Oyang. Thanks for listening.